2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much, and welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, too hot to handle. That's the message today, as more strong jobs, data sends stocks stumbling. We'll debate what it means for the Fed and your money on day three of our annual stock summit. Joining me for the hour today, Steve Weiss, Shannon Sakosha, and Jason Snipe. Let's check the markets. We're pretty much at the lows of the session. The old good news is bad news. Dow's down 422. SP and p off 1.2%. That's where the NASDAQ is as well. And there is the yield on the 10-year at 372. It is that story, though, Shan, right? Good news is bad news. Too hot to handle for jobs. Stocks went down immediately on that better-than-expected Shout
0: yeah, and I think if you dig into the ADP report, I mean, the, always the issue has been ADP versus non-farm payrolls. And what are the two differences? I mean, the, the main thing to think about is that ADP is attempting to measure in, in a, a more pronounced way small and, and medium-sized businesses here in the United States and the hiring and the firing there. And really, a lot of the layoffs that we've seen that have created this concern about the labor market have primarily been in large companies. And so I think that one of the other things to look at is, you know, this, this wage price increase that we experience as part of this report. That's really where the concern is, because, you know, a strong labor market, if we were seeing wages grow the way they were in, you know, the 10 years prior to 2020, for instance, the Fed wouldn't be nearly as concerned about that. However, if we are continuing to see five, six, seven percent year over year increases in wages, that's going to be the stickiest part of this inflationary cycle. So I think it's important to understand that, you know, there does need to be uh, a real introspection in terms of investors, that there are parts of the economy that are showing these huge And they talk a lot about it in the in the tech check program that we just saw earlier. Um, But I think one of the things to think about is how is the fundamentals of the economy performing? Because the Fed isn't going to look just at one piece of data. They're going to continue to look at all of these secondary effects of inflation and how long those can persist before they even start to talk about a pivot.
2: So, Jason Snipe, there are some who don't want to believe the hype from the Fed, right? Um, We know some of them who are on this show on a regular basis. Esther George. The latest to say that rates over 5%. Keep them there for a while. Kashkari yesterday, 5.4. Then we'll pause and keep them there for a while. You had several retail downgrades today. You had sobering commentary from Microsoft and Amazon regarding layoffs and the road ahead. And where does that leave us?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, for me, higher for longer is obviously the narrative that you really got to pay attention to. The Fed has been talking about this dual mandate for some time now. It's been employment and inflation. Inflation is coming down hard. You know, we, we saw with some of the news, uh, some of the commentary in Germany and France, we got some good numbers there. ISM prices uh, f- pretty much in line, but prices came down some. You know, so for me, as we, as we shift to the, the narrative in employment, ADP, as Shannon just mentioned, what the numbers were, you know, above expectations, you know, the, the, the concern is obviously that could be potentially inflationary. We'll look at the numbers What we'll see tomorrow you know, from a labor perspective and, and, and where that goes. But the, the focus for me is really now, how long do they stay restrictive? You know, because I think it might be 25 basis points in February, maybe another 25 basis points. They'll likely stop then. But what is the material impact to the market going forward from there? So, That's really my focus.
2: So Weiss, um, this remains the principal reason why you are and have been as negative as you are. It's just plain and simple. Uh, plain and simple vanilla looking at at the market don't fight the Fed right Um, they keep telling you exactly what the game plan is going to be and as I said there are some deniers there are some who don't believe the hype there are some who just think it's not going to happen that they're not going to be able to do what they say because they're going to get on the verge of breaking something and then have to pivot of course yesterday in the minutes we learned that nobody is even thinking close to cutting rates anytime soon um Has your view, in any way, shape, or form, changed as we've turned the calendar now?
3: No, I'm dug in. Uh, Days like yesterday, when you, uh, when the market focuses on one little sentence, which says, "Hey, basically paraphrasing, we reserve the right to change our mind depending upon the circumstances," you know, and the market rallies just makes me more negative because. You know, the old, the, the old refrain, hey, who doesn't know the Fed's in a tightening cycle? Who doesn't know the economy's going to weaken? Who doesn't know that inflation has peaked? Well, sometimes you can know things and sometimes you can't know what the effects of those are. So I looked at the St. Louis Fed. St. Louis Fed comes out and they tell you in their latest uh, report on their website, tremendous information there, 26 states are already in recession. It doesn't end there. So when you hear Eston George says, look, I hope we don't go into recession, but we very well could, we're there already. So un- until the, you know, un- until people just realize that, you know, it's like an insurance policy. You buy an insurance policy, but you never, you hope you don't use it in your normal life. That's what we saw in the Fed news. They're not going to pivot. I've never seen a market, frankly, i said this before, that's easier to analyze than this. Because what matters above all is monetary policy. And they're telling you right where they're going to go. They're going to shoot you right between the eyes in the labor market. labor market continues to grow. Mm -hmm. You read in the papers and you hear anecdotally that you're raising, uh, you know, that you're giving wages, you know, bonuses to people to stay. And then I look at companies. I came on over a month ago and I said, hey, a company we're investing in the cloud in Europe said, nobody's investing. Nobody's getting any, buying any contracts or yeah. putting them on hold hey, to right. slow down U.S.
2: So what do you say, though, to yeah. somebody who says, well, they've already done a lot because of all the reasons you say. And the stock market's already come down a lot because of all the reasons that you say. It's good.
3: Right? It's still overvalued. Nobody knows what the E is, so you have to make a bet. Is the E going to be where it is? okay and then it's still overvalued by a couple of turns in a rising in a rising right and rate environment or our numbers going to come down numbers are going to come down well, yeah, they, which is going to mean they, you'll have you'll need multiple expansion stay where you well, are they have it's come down happening. a lot it's going right
2: they they have come down a lot not and, enough. and and frankly there's no indication that rates are going to go up meaningfully from here right i mean there there's no guarantee that that's gonna happen as long as there remain concerns about the strength of the economy. Let me put a ceiling on, on rates. Maybe, maybe you're able to get e- economic, maybe you're able to get some sort of multiple expansion, Weiss.
3: Not gonna happen. Multiple expansion generally only happens, it's only sustainable in a declining rate environment. Okay, if you take a look historically at what Fed targets were, three to five percent were accommodative, right? Below three percent, was very positive for the economy. Over 5% was a very restrictive economy. They're going over 5%, they told you. So the economy is going to overshoot. Because you know what the biggest concern is? The big concern is that if you let inflation stay in the economy, that's endemic. I mean, that just keeps going and going and going. Recessions, we come and go out of. But inflation, that's the hardest thing to control once you let it get away from you, as we're seeing now. They let it get away from you. So they're going to attack it, keep doing it.
2: That's why they continue, Shannon, to say the risk is doing too little rather than too much. And they're, in a sense, willing to go too far if they have to. And if they can tolerate, if that puts you into a shallow recession, they're willing to tolerate that. I I, I think it's pretty clear at this point. They are willing to tolerate that. Now, given all that, what am I supposed to do? In the stock market right now, if the stock market has come down twenty percent, the S and P has. We know what the Fed's going to do at the next meeting. At least we think. What are we supposed to do?
0: Well, I, I, if I could, I want to go back to a point that Steve made in terms of we don't know what earnings are going to be, right? Which is uh, it's the biggest concern right now. And we could talk about whatever the multiple is, but you can use a lot of historical precedent in terms of determining what the S and P five hundred should be at the end of this year based on what your earnings expectations are. The, the the challenge is is that earnings expectations have continued to come down and down and down and the and the issue is is that there are certain companies and certain industries that have performed better than one would have expected and so I think the The challenge for us is when I'm looking at potential companies to invest in, what are those management teams that can show me that they have the potential to be resilient in this environment, that they still have pricing power, that they have a secular tailwind, that they have a demographic that can continue to drive earnings, because I don't disagree with Steve. I mean, if you don't know what the E is, then you should be putting your emphasis in this market on companies that you think can continue to drive growth of that E, even in an inflationary environment. Maybe
2: that's going to come up when when we do our stock summit and you do your picks. And I'm, you know, I'm rather certain that you've thought about that very question when you've decided what kind of stocks that you're going to pick. Let's bring in our headliner uh, today for halftime. He's Kevin Simpson, capital wealth planning CIO. He's a five star fund manager. He's the founder of that firm as well. It's good to see you. Happy New Year. Welcome back to halftime. Hey, Scott. You managed to have a pretty good year in the face of some pretty severe headwinds. Um, So you've listened to the commentary here from our committee Uh, as an outsider who's listened to what's happening in the room, so to speak. What's your view?
4: Yeah, I mean, Shannon just started to get right into the heart of the matter because Steve's right. When you don't know the earnings, when you have higher terminal rates, there's going to be multiple compression. It it lends itself to the game of, well, where is the S&P going to end at the end of the year? Let's put a number on it. And, and that's certainly fun to do, especially this week at the beginning of 2023. But the problem is, Scott, it doesn't make us any money. We need to identify opportunities each and every day, regardless of what's happening. The Fed will go too far. They'll be too aggressive, just as you've implied. They're OK with a the recession. They're all all of us collectively are hoping that there that, that will be shallow and short lived and we can be out of it because there is no pivot until there's a recession. So the, 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 the Fed saying five, five point four percent. It wouldn't surprise me if we start hearing rhetoric saying six percent at some point because you really need to drive the point home that inflation has to be tackled before we can think about a pause or a pivot. It doesn't mean they need to go that high, and certainly the the bond market doesn't think that that's going to be the case. But from my perspective, kind of listening to the conversation, you know, you bring up some really good points that we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We've got to put a little bit of, uh, of faith into the into the conversation, into the mix. But at the end of the day, we need to find companies that can perform in a recession, in an inflationary environment, regardless of what's happening with the broader economies, and and that's why the summit's so exciting. See,
2: th- there are. Investors out there who were probably thinking to themselves, uh, stocks came down 20 percent, Kev. I mean, you know, I'm not going to be able to pick the exact moment. But if I'm in it for the long haul, why shouldn't I buy some stocks here in the environment that that we've just gone through? And I pose that question to you rhetorically, uh, in a sense, because you've done it with Apple, for example, which is one of those stocks right now that is arguably in that key battleground area, right? The stock's been hitting new 52 week lows on an almost everyday basis. It's up slightly today in what is an overwhelmingly down tape. Why Apple? Why now?
4: Well, I think to your point, it's almost impossible to pick exact bottoms. So with our trade on Apple, and you and I talked about this just two months ago, we had the entire position called away, which at the time didn't look all that brilliant because I think it went up another 10 points after we had it called at 157 and a half. But once it rolled over and has come back into the 140s, into the 130s, you you have to start looking at this as an opportunity. You know, the P.E. is still at 20. So if you're if you're thinking about multiple compression to seed point, the stock price has to come down because the multiple is not going to go up. But looking at this as an opportunity to start building a position. And we've now reaccumulated about a one and a half percent position in Apple with a target of getting it back to that five percent level you know internally in our in our shop we're saying if it gets down to 110 to 115 like that that to us is very very attractive but it may get there it may not so what we're doing is you know old-school dollar cost averaging we've got a very patient approach to every position that we own and I'm sure we'll talk more about some of the others later but with respect to Apple you can start looking at it but you have to definitely anticipate that Apple as well as the broader markets can certainly be lower before we get an all-clear signal and we're celebrating the next bull market. Your
2: cash level at 13% historically is where, based on your, your average?
4: Yeah, we like to keep it at 5%, Scott. That's our sweet spot. It's been very, very difficult over the past two years to, to keep it at that level, either because we're taking a defensive play and removing a position, we're having something called away. Sitting at 13% feels really good right now because we, we are looking at a market that's going to continue to be volatile, continue to have pressure on it, while the Fed is continuing their rate-increasing process. So having a little dry powder is, is important, and for every investor out there, there's no sense of urgency. You know, we're equity investors. We have a mandate to be in the stock market. There's no compelling reason to just go crazy and go all in, but look for opportunities, invest on pullbacks, and look at it as a strategic year to, to get positions and build positions for that next bull market, which is sure to come. Why'd you buy more verizon? <clears throat> it's been here since we bought Verizon. It's been one of the stocks that I've least enjoyed having in the portfolio, especially on price action for last year. I think it was down 20 percent. It's been a very small position, uh, gotten a lot smaller with the with the decline last year, but we allocated about one and a half percent to it. And what we're looking at is a stock that had, really leveraged itself on debt, over expenditures on, on 5G. It seems like they're, they're looking at the reality of where the world is now, cost-cutting, ca- capital management. The P.E. ratio is like 8 or 9. The dividend is still at 6%. Probably shouldn't be, but when you're an aristocrat or a dividend king or things like that, sometimes you, you like to hold yourself out on that dividend. But I feel like the stock at this level, it's pretty much the same price, gap that it was almost 10 years ago. And the And the earnings per share have doubled since then, so we're we're, we're taking a cautious approach to it. We trimmed to aflac position to take a little profit to add to Verizon and uh, to your point, you know when st- when stocks are down, you can look at them. but I always say that just because the stock is down doesn't mean it can't go down further. so we're treading carefully and in- back into that Verizon pool.
2: you know that's a, a saying that Weiss has has said <coughs> ostensibly too, right Steve that You know, don't tell me that the stock's a good buy just because it's come down a lot. It can obviously go down more. However, you know, Apple's a good example of of how, uh, you know, I, I wonder the average investor might be looking at this market here. So it's at 126. You know, do I need to wait really until it gets down to 110 or 115? If I'm a long-term investor, what's the difference between 15 to 20 bucks in 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 the big picture? Right. That's the kind of conversation I think we need to have with our with our viewers. Not to just be so negative about the market, but at some point the negativity is going to turn, and it's anticipating at least trying to to the best of your ability when the turn might be. And even if you're early, so what.
3: Well, here's so what. Uh, your return is defined by where you get into the stock. And, um, you know, with my strategy, I don't have to be in the market. So Kevin's absolutely right. And congrats on a great year, Kevin. Extremely impressive. But um, there are some markets where, you know, as Dave Tepper has said many times on air and to me personally, sometimes you just want to sit in the sideline protect capital. So it depends what what how do you look at life? For me, I despise losing money so much. I'd rather not participate in the next 20% downside, which I believe it could be, than miss the 10% upside. That's a strategy I live by this year. It served me very well. And when I see there's a turn there, I've told you many times, I am going to miss it. I missed it. I was bearish and net short in 08. I didn't get back into the market until about 2010. But I still did pretty well. So the first rule of investing is protect your capital. Now, a lot of managers, and I don't know if this is Kevin's strategy, don't have the ability to, to be all in cash. His 13% cash load is pretty significant relative to what, to what he normally does. Sure. But they're not the asset allocators. People don't give them money to be in cash. They give them money to be in stocks or bonds or whatever. I've got money to protect the capital and then make money when the time is right. And I think I'll do that. And by the way, while you can't make money being cash, I'm that short. So I'm actually having a nice day today.
2: Yeah. So, Kevin, you know, before we move on, you sold a covered call on Devon Energy. Um, That's principally what your strategy is. Uh, But take me through that particular trade.
4: Well, that's a fun trade because Devon is one of our top picks for 2023. I mean, we love the energy sector and it's gotten slammed over the past few weeks. So if you think of the thesis where we may have a range bound market for the year, Collecting a, a very solid dividend as well as a variable dividend gets you somewhere from a six, seven, eight percent yield off of Devon. But because energy is volatile, because it's come back, we look for covered calls as another way to navigate range-bound markets. And we were able to write a call for a January expiration. I think we brought in a dollar forty, Scott. And if you annualize that out, and this is not indicative of any of the covered calls that we write, but it was just a fun example of something we did on Friday. The annualized premium is about 45 percent for the year. Uh, now, that's not something that happens very often. But if we can supplement the cash flow with another three, four five percent in option premium on top of it, now we're holding a stock and generating a good, solid double digit return on it. But the Devon Energy covered call makes me look reasonably smart this week, considering uh, how poorly the, the energy trades have been up until today. How many stocks do you
2: generally own at a, at a given time, Kevin?
4: So we'll own between 25 to 30 stocks and they'll be from the S&P 100 so they're going to be mega cap dividend growers and and we'll write covered calls typically on 30 to 60% of those names. There's no mandate for it. We use it as a hedge to Steve's point. We we can't short the market. We can't go to all cash. So we look at covered call writing as a means of helping to buffer that volatility. Give us a little bit less of of the drawdowns and the byproduct of it is certainly cash flow. Uh, very few examples are as robust or as juicy as that Devin one that we did on Friday. Are your numbers now, you know, indicative
2: of that, the 20 to 30, you have that number in your in your book at, at the current time?
4: Yeah, I think we have about 25 positions. You do.
2: Okay. So, you, so you're there and you continue to look for opportunity do this. You're going to stay with us. Uh, we are going to have our Stock Summit, day three of it. Shannon, Weiss and Jason unveiling their top sectors and, and stocks for the year ahead. Kevin's going to Uh, weigh in on on those as well, which we're excited to have him stick with us. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
5: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: We're back on the Halftime Report, our annual stock summit continuing today. Shannon Kosha, you are up right now. Your picks, Stryker, Eaton Corp, Oracle. We'll do your sector after the stocks, but take us through the list. Why?
0: So let's let's start first with Stryker. I think one of the things that we have really thought about is what you know what are those industries that potentially have some demographic tailwinds and that's certainly the case with healthcare and more specifically with healthcare equipment although we have seen some return of procedure volume that was lost in 2020 and 2021 we really haven't recovered all of that. Stryker is also better positioned than its competitors Zimmer and J&J particularly in knees um, and if you think about the importance of prioritization in terms of margin at these larger hospital groups, they're not going to want to use a bunch of suppliers. And so we continue to see Stryker being able to have market share gains, even in an environment where the economy is not quite as strong. Um, If we go to Eaton, I think Eaton's an excellent example of an industrial that we do think that can continue to grow and thrive in, in potentially a challenging environment. Focused on key aerospace and electrical markets. If you think about the the necessity of infrastructure improvement, um, this is a company that's going to be on the cutting edge of that. And then Oracle. I know this is going to be probably the most problematic one because once again, it's a big cap tech stock. Um, but they're growing in small and medium sized markets. The valuation is undemanding, um, and they continue to show that by offering an uh, a, a cloud solution that is sort of a one stop shop from a data, including a database that can really be something that smaller businesses can integrate without a lot of consulting cost. Um, they also have a, uh, the acquisition of Cerner, which is going to add six billion dollars of sales to them on the healthcare side of the coin.
2: So, Jason Jeffries today upgrades Oracle to buy from hold. Price target goes to 105. Deutsche adds it to its fresh money list, 120 is the price target. What do you think about these picks, if you wanna weigh in on Oracle specifically or more broadly, the group?
1: Yeah, so obviously Oracle, I don't own it personally, but I like software, period, right? Software, if I look at how it grew through the pandemic, it grew tremendously, and I do think there's opportunities still for growth in that area. Oracle is still attractively priced, it's kind of like the old tech theme, um, but I like that name. I think it, I think it could work well. And then healthcare, just you know, as Shannon just mentioned, I mean, the demographic tailwinds definitely are are, are part of. Uh, why the sector can move, and I think also a tight labor market um, is also a, a tailwind for, for healthcare, and it's attractively priced. You know, if you're looking at value versus the growth continuum, I think value still outweighs, and it's got some defensive tendencies, and I like healthcare here.
2: Okay, Steve Weiss, uh, that's your sector, by the way, right? Is, is healthcare. Absolutely. You sort of tipped your hand a little bit on, on the striker pick, leaning that way. Uh, it's a popular space. Right now, I've heard a lot about financials, I heard a lot about energy, and I continue to hear a lot about healthcare. It's your number one pick.
0: Yeah, defense and offense, right? They have life sciences, um, ability to grow from a top and bottom line perspective, but also this defensive nature that we think this trade is going to be in place at least through the middle of the year where people are going to be looking for places to hide out.
2: Okay, Steve Weiss, what do you make of these picks?
3: Healthcare I like, and uh, I'll give you a preview. It's my sector also, with the caveat that only profitable healthcare is what I'm looking at, not looking at at life sciences that, that just live off development proper, developmental pipelines. Uh, in terms of Eaton, I'm that short uh, industrials. I'm short the XLI. So I just think that in the industrial economy, of which Eaton is part of, it's going to be tough going. earners can come down meaningful, and I don't think it particularly cheap right now. Stryker I like. I keep looking at Stryker virtually every day saying, when well, is this stock just going to fall off a cliff? Uh, because I missed it. I wanted to buy it earlier in the year and then it just got away from me. So so I like that quite a bit.
2: Let's go to your picks. Uh, I don't think, you know, most people are going to be surprised by number one on your list, which is Moderna uh, with GXO, which you've right. talked a lot about as well. And you just mentioned profitable health care. You make the distinction there. But, you know, Moderna and then GXO. Tell Tell us again why these are on your list. I know you by the way. Uh, It's telling that there are only two stock picks on your list. It's emblematic of how you feel more broadly about the market.
3: Right. And I've I've got a big shopping list for that third spot, but just given what we're trying to do here in the show, I don't want to go out and say buy Home Depot, go buy Striker or buy one of the others, when I think I'll get it a lot cheaper or Microsoft, which I think can get probably, I was thinking 200, maybe I can get it below that. So GXO. GXO is a very unique asset. Keep in mind, it's been almost two years since the spin out of XPO. And what's that mean? That means that now, under the, under the tax laws, the company can be acquired possibly. Mark cap's about $5 billion and change. And last quarter, they grew 16% organically. They're perfectly positioned for this kind of environment. Half their business are take-a-pay contracts where they get a minimum. Their customer base is Nike, it's Amazon, it's Apple, it's Intel, et cetera, et cetera. And particularly in a tough environment, if you allow them to do their returns for you, the reverse logistics, you will add, the company will add 50 to 70 basis points to their margins. Same thing as they outsource to GXO because labor is remaining suddenly expensive. And by the way, they're automated. So that's why I like GXO. It's... uh, it's not performed well, but it's dirt cheap at nine to ten times EBITDA. The catalyst is this coming Thursday, they have a, uh, an analyst day where they'll give their five-year targets. And this company has not missed a quarter. I know management, obviously, clearly very, very well at this point. Got the amazing confidence in them.
2: What's interesting in to me— In terms of Moderna— Well, hold on one second, because yeah. what's interesting mm-hmm. to me here is as you yeah. pitch GXO, you just sold XPO, didn't you?
3: I did. I did.
2: Um, so, how does that, that, really more that market view gel together? Yeah.
3: They're different businesses. They're, they're different businesses. XPO I owned, I owned it because I had RXO in it, it, had GXO in it, and because that was also, it still is very cheap. But given my view on the economy overall, and of which they're very leveraged to the economy uh, with freight, um, I, I just looked at it as a source of funds. Uh, I don't see a lot of downside there. But I just wanted to cut back my already low exposure in the market.
2: And now, be net short. So, so give me so give me a quickie on on health care, because, you know, we've already heard a lot about it. I totally get why you like it and others do as as well. Why is it going to work for the duration of 23?
3: Well, again, I, you know, I don't know that it's going to work in the next three months or so, but healthcare doesn't know a recession. Right. Prices are going up haven't spoken to and I'm involved with a very big healthcare family in terms of the what they own, where their wealth came from, prices just go up, period. End of story. Uh, it's not a great thing for the economy. It's not a great thing for individuals or companies, but they go up. There's still a scarcity of, uh, of healthcare professionals, number one. And number two, the innovation in both, as Shannon talked about with Stryker and, and others, uh, is going to continue to drive usage there, particularly, you know. Um, as you see, companies like United Healthcare and, and others say, We want you to get in front of any illness. We want you to go for a checkup. So, UNH is another one on my shopping lists. That's why I love healthcare. And why I love Moderna is now they've got 48 companies, 48 uh, products in their pipeline. We saw what the value of that could be potentially with the Merck announcement and the <coughs> individualized melanoma cancer vaccine. So, look, I don't know how it's going to do this year. Their earnings are going to. Slowly uh, run off as COVID vaccines become less, the uptake becomes less, but I still believe it's going to be the wealthiest life science company in the
2: world. Uh, Kevin Simpson, you're our independent outsider, uh, so to speak, in, in this exercise. What do you make of what you've heard? Do you, what do you like? What don't you like?
4: Well, I, I think they're both spot on from a sector standpoint with healthcare. I like Steve's uh, caveat of profitable healthcare. Moderna and GxO, I don't follow them. They don't pay dividends. They wouldn't be candidates for my strategy. So I, I look a little bit more towards Shannon's names with um, with with a little bit brighter eye. Multiples might be a little bit high there, but thinking about healthcare, I don't know where Jason's going to go with his sector, but. To Steve's point, they're, they're recession-proof. None of us are going to forego our, our health insurance or our medical care. We have a baby boomer population that's aging, 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day, all of whom are going to be spending tons and tons of money on health care. So that's a place to be. We own Amgen, J&J, United Healthcare. to Steve's point. But I love both of their sector picks for sure.
2: All right, we'll find out what Jason Snipes got up his sleeve And hey, Amgen's another one I like, by the way, Kevin. Would you say
3: why?
4: I
2: I agree with you on Amgen. Amgen,
3: okay. Uh, Yeah, I agree with him on Amgen. I've been doing some work on it.
2: All right. We'll take that quick break. Jason Snipe is next with his top picks in sector. Kevin Simpson back as well. He's going to weigh in, too. Next.
6: Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. A senior Ukrainian official dismissed a 36-hour ceasefire proposal by Russian President Vladimir Putin on Thursday as hypocrisy and said a, quote, temporary truce would be possible only when Russia leaves territory it is occupying in Ukraine. A bomb cyclone sweeping across parts of California, producing heavy rain, damaging winds, and knocking out power to tens of thousands of residents. About 90% of the California population is under a flash flood watch due to these conditions. This is the second major storm this week in the Golden State. And President Biden on Friday plans to mark the two-year anniversary of the January 6th uh, insurrection awarding the Presidential Citizens Medal to 12 people who demonstrated courage and selflessness during a moment of peril for our nation. The individuals include Capitol Police officers, Metropolitan Police officers, election workers, and officials at the state and local level. Scott, back
2: over to you. All right, Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. More of our annual Stock Summit playbooks. Jason Snipe, you are up. Goldman. Goldman Sachs, CVS, Palo Alto, which, by the way, hit a new 52-week low today. We'll get to your sector pick in a moment. Start with Goldman. Why?
1: Yeah, so I like Goldman here. Obviously, I think, you know, Goldman, for, as, as number one, is, was only down 10% last year. Financials struggled some. But, you know, w- what I believe is capital markets are coming back. You know, uh, IPO, the underwriting market was obsolete last year. There's nothing going on. That will come back. I think corporate lending also will be, will be another catalyst for the stock trading at one time's book, I think there's some value here, and I think there's an opportunity. You know, it might be some volatility in the first quarter, but I think going into the rest of the year, I think
2: it could be positive. Okay, let's stop there for a second, because Kevin Simpson, you bought more Goldman Sachs today, obviously liking this pick.
4: Well, Jason, and I, you know, great minds think alike. We had, um, we had trimmed some of the position back in November around 383, so we bought more today for everything and every reason that Jason just mentioned, you know, single-digit P.E., strong dividend, incredibly strong dividend growth, which is something that we look for. The only thing I would say is, as far as capital markets are concerned, and I know this is a 2023 contest, Jason, I think it might be uh, end of 2023, 2024, where we start to see a good revenue stream from there. But I think this will still be a winner for you uh, when the year is all said and done. But maybe you want to put it on your 2024 list as well. <laughs> Weiss, you on Goldman.
3: I do. Look, it's great management. They don't allow problems and issues to fester. They attack them aggressively and attack them, uh, making very tough decisions at some point. I agree with Kevin. I think that their pipeline's massive. I've spoken to the bankers, um, and, and every firm's got a massive pipeline at this point. But just a couple things. There's no appetite for buying anything in the first six months. So you get to see some things get done, but not a lot. And that's very high margin business. In terms of the lending book, yes. But in terms of, of M&A, I think that's going to take a while to come back as well because you've changed the equation with rates being higher and being difficult to get funding in the market. Mm-hmm. So I still like it. Uh, it's my top pick in that sector. But I think you have time on it.
2: Okay, CVS, Why?
1: Yeah. So CVS is more of a value play. I look at the trends in the pharma business as an example, three and a half billion dollars in new business this year. Ninety eight percent retention rate. It's also got a nice free cash flow story. Eight percent free cash flow yield. You know, the Aetna acquisition, which was eons ago, in 2017, but was very accretive to the business. I like this name going forward as a kind of a steady value play, you know, going into this year.
2: Okay, Palo Alto, uh, favorite name on many lists. New 52 week low today. It is on your list. Why? No doubt.
1: So obviously, Palo Alto, you, you're not supposed to buy stocks and making new 52-week lows. And, and this is a tough one in terms of, from a pricing perspective, it's trading at 38 times forward, you know, below its two-year average, which is 58. But revenue growth is, is tremendous here, 30% revenue growth. Um, Cybersecurity continues to be an issue. 76% of companies are still planning on spending more money in this space. So if, if I'm looking for growth stocks in the area, it's down 25% last year. I think this one could be an opportunity. There'll be some volatility along the way, but I think it can finish strong.
2: Okay. Sector, energy. Energy. Uh, obviously far and away the best performer in 22, up a tremendous amount. Why does that continue this year? Why do you think it'll outperform some of the others, yeah. too?
1: Yeah. So we, we talk a lot about this on the show about the supply, demand and balance, and that that's that's gonna, that's changing some. Obviously, the Saudis have cut uh, some. So so I think that's more of a backseat story. When I look at energy, I think about free cash flow. I think about balance sheets. I think about the capital discipline that these companies displayed through the pandemic. The world was turned off. They had to make some decisions and they did. I think that continues to play out, you know, in the in the year ahead. But I, I don't think we see outsized. Uh, growth and performance from these names. But I do think it'll be a steady sector for us.
2: Okay, Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Kevin Simpson, always great to have you, uh, especially today uh, for certain, having you weigh in on our picks as well. We'll see you soon.
4: Happy New Year, my friend.
2: All right. You as well. We'll have some more Stock Summit picks tomorrow, of course, from the remaining members of the committee coming up next right here today. A downgrade for one Dow stock on fears about that company's exposure to a downturn. We do have ownership on the desk. We give you the reveal. We give you the trade. We'll do it next in our call of the day. We're back. Elon Moy has breaking news now on that vote for House Speaker. Elon?
5: Well, Scott, no lucky number seven for Kevin McCarthy. The California Republican is coming up short once again in his quest to become Speaker of the House. So far, he has lost seven Republican votes. Remember, he can only lose four, though that vote is still ongoing. Now, McCarthy expected this outcome as he came into the House chamber earlier today. He said that they are working to solve this problem, and he does believe good progress is being made. McCarthy has reportedly made several concessions to these hardline conservatives, who are opposing his nomination, including uh, supporting any single member forcing a vote to vacate uh, the Speaker's position, as well as agreeing to put some of these conservatives into influential committees. But as of now, during the seventh round of voting in the House for Speaker, Kevin McCarthy once again appears to be coming up short and will not be successful during this seventh vote. Scott. All right.
2: Elon. thank you. That's Elon Moy let's talk about our call of the day. It's American Express and it was downgraded today to underweight at Stevens. The firm saying it no longer is a safe haven. It is our call of the day. Jason Snipe, you own it. Man, you don't find a stock like this get put on the equivalent of a sell very often. No safe haven anymore. What do you yeah, think?
1: Yeah, I think this is a bet on the consumer. You know, honestly, if I look, if I look at the call here, um, you know, when I think about AXP, obviously they brought it on their base and they're working with some more millennials now, but they cater to the higher end consumer. I still like this name. I think there's pent up demand and cross border travel, you know, 25 percent revenue growth. They reaffirmed the guide in the last quarter. I still think there, there's runway in the stock, and it's still attractively valued at 14 times. It was only down, you know, about 14% last year. So I, I still think there's opportunity here.
2: Don't necessarily agree with it with the call. What about you, Shan? You own Visa. It's not like you own Amex, but this is an interesting call at an interesting time.
0: It is. I think there's a there's a implication here, though, that millennials uh, can't pay their bills, and the millennials are a pretty wide it. range of ages. And so, I, I think this is an an overstated concern. And honestly, I wouldn't be as concerned about Amex as I would be as, about some other um, credit card companies. All right.
2: We will take a quick break. We'll come back. Mike Santoli with his midday word. Plus, we are getting ready to grade your trade. Email us. Ask halftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us. Use the hashtag grade my trade. We're right back. Welcome back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us from the New York Stock Exchange with his midday word. I'm looking at the bond market right now. So you got yields up a little bit. Stocks obviously didn't like the employment data.
7: Yeah, exactly, Scott. Uh, you know, the market kind of showed its hand a little bit when you get even second tier numbers like the ADP report, as well as a uh, pretty firm uh, weekly jobless claims. It shows you that we're going to twitch lower in stocks, it, it just is sort of in fear, flinching about what it means for the Fed. Obviously, with the jobs number coming tomorrow, that uh, heightened concern, uh, we're really wearing out the turf around this 3,800 line. And the S&P 500 goes all the way back to mid-December, where this is where uh, the market wants to gravitate to, but then seems to catch a little traction. We'll see if that continues. I still see some New Year's noise in the kind of dynamics and leaders and laggards. Uh, The stuff that was the worst over the prior 12 months continues to have a bit of a bid. Meta, Stanley Black and Decker, uh, some of the the story stocks. So until that clears out, maybe we we don't have quite as clean a read. One final thing. The weekly AAI sentiment survey There's only been 60 weeks in the last 35 years of the survey that had bullishness as low as it is today. That hasn't mattered for a while. uh, But clearly, people uh, are pretty down on this market because it don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the tape are telling you to be
2: pretty bearish. I love the word you use. I think it's so appropriate. Twitch, just like yesterday. Right, the minutes come out, you get the twitch, market goes lower, then fights its way back. I mean, so we'll see exactly. what happens before I see you in a, in a few hours in OT. Yep, sure will. Yep, all right, Michael, be good. We'll see you in a little bit. Up next, we grade your trade. Send an email, ask halftime, cnbc.com. Tweet us. We'll be right back. It's that time. Let's grade your trades. First up, Shannon, you are up from Allen. Okay. Bought Merck at $87.23 on September 14th and on the 30th at 86 85 Okay. So two different buys. Thinking of adding more on the next pullback due to the Bank of America upgrade. What do you think of the trade?
0: Well, I think it's a great trade, and I would be surprised, however, if you see a significant pullback. Uh, This stock had a tremendous year last year on the back of um, growing revenues for Keytruda and Janubia and Gardasil, and the challenge is is that you probably get more upside here than downside, just given the defensive nature of pharma. I actually would look to, if we do get another push higher, trim this and potentially look at some of the European-based pharma companies, because the overhang of higher drug prices has certainly been taken out of the market based on what's happening in Washington.
2: Okay. Uh, thank you for the trade, Alan, and thank you, Shen. All right, Jason Snipe. Uh, this is from a Twitter user in New York City. Bought NVIDIA. Talk about stocks that have come down a lot. Bought NVIDIA on November 9th at 137.77. Yeah. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so obviously the stock was down 50% last year. This is not a stock for me that I trade, however. It's always been a long-term holding, so I, I give this one a B. Um, you know, we talk about the environment that we're in, you know, the Fed don't fight the Fed is trading at 43 times. It's an expensive stock. But I but I do think data center gaming, all that reaccel reaccelerates. So I do think I, I, I like to trade here.
2: OK, We've got another Twitter user um, in Arizona. Weiss this time bought Snowflake. They say 140 put February expiration. What do you think about this trade here?
3: I think it's a great trade. You know, I was uh, long the puts, but now I'm just short the stock. And look, the company's got great technology, granted, but it's still selling at a ridiculous multiple. Actually, no multiple. It's not earning any money. So it will, but it'll still be overvalued. So it's going to be a reset. Enterprise slowing. Enterprise, you know, buying is slowing. So I think it's still a good short. This goes below par.
2: Okay. Keep the trades coming. Send an email. Once again, ask halftime at cnBC.com or tweet us and we'll continue to have the investment committee grade your trades. Final trades are next. All right. Lee Cooperman's first interview of 2023 is on overtime today, four o'clock Eastern time. Get his views on the market where he thinks we might go this year, what he's buying, if anything, what he's still holding. He's got a lot of views, as always. He'll share them with you in a few hours' time at 4 o'clock Eastern. Let's do some final trades. Steve Weiss, you go first. What do you got?
0: I
3: pressed my Rivian short this morning, uh, even though it was down. Look, this is the year where companies have to make money. Very capital intensive business. I don't care what their balance sheet is. They're going to lose money for as far as the eye can see. Mm -hmm. I think the stock breaks 10 on the downside.
2: Okay, it's great having you in the house, Jason Snipe. Yes, sir. Don't see up this way that often. What's your final trade? You got it.
1: Uh, Goldman Sachs. I mentioned it earlier in in the stock summit. I like this name. They continue positive operating leverage. You know, one time's book. I think this is a financial worth owning.
2: All right. Yeah. It was your uh, top pick in the stock summit, of course. Shannon Sakosha here in the house as well. I'm Don't tri- be strangers. <laughs> Don't be strangers. It's much better like this, right? No I'm doubt. One. No doubt. You pick?
0: I'm tripling down on healthcare. AbV. Although there's a lot of revenue tied up in Humira, they have Renvoke and Skyrizi, along with an oncology and aesthetics portfolio that will continue to drive growth.
2: All right. I'll give you another reminder. Lee Cooperman joining us in overtime today. We'll get his views on the market. Certainly look forward to catching up with him. Does it for us? I'll see you then. The exchanges now.